Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. I am Bree, and my co-host is Aaron. Aaron is here. Hello. Thanks for having me once again. Thank you for being here. And today we are chatting with author Nan Reinhardt. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for being here. Tell us how 2022 has started for you. Crazy busy. I had a book come out February 1st, The Valentine Wager, and I have two more coming out this year, and I'm working on ones for 2023, and I'm also a freelance copy editor. So pretty much um, I'm right here all the time, either (laughs) writing or editing, so busy is busy but good it's a good thing yeah awesome. well you're ready to get into some icebreakers oh sure if you had a warning label what would it say i think and i think most everyone i know would agree with this cries easily same um, it's a family same. trait yeah. we're all saps and my grandmother used to say that our bladders were attached to our tear ducts so if we drank <laughs> we cried so <laughs> cries easily that's just fine and we understand here yeah yeah do you cry on commercials i cry on commercials well you know i i would if i watch tv um okay but i don't watch tv however i do Mm -hmm. cry you know i cry if my grandson walks in the door i'm i'm just a big old set what was the first job you had man um besides babysitting which i started doing when i was like around probably around 13 or so I had a, I was a checkout clerk in a dime store when I was 17. The dime store is long gone. Dime stores, I think, are long gone. But I'm, <laughs> and I realize I'm aging myself here. But that was my first job. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the $1.25 store now. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> What's one book that you wish you could experience reading for the first time again? I think this is a terrific question. Um, for me, I think it would be the the Harvester by Gene Stratton Porter, who's an uh, an Indiana author and naturalist from the early 1900s. My mother read all of her books to us when we were kids, and um, the Harvester was when I fell in love with romance. He was the most romantic man in the world. He still is to me. And if I could read that book again and have that feeling I had, I would love that. All right. That's. I think that might be one we need to add to our uh, book club list. I know. Absolutely. (laughs) What's one of your favorite purchases you've treated yourself to recently? Well, I do this frequently and and I've recently just had a mani-pedi. I love love pretty nails. My nails, you can't see this, but they have little hearts on them for Valentine's Day. Oh, cool. For Valentine's Day. (laughs) And I have always been a firm believer in red toenails. It's always the way to go. So Manny Petties, I, I love that's that. my big treat to myself. Yeah. If you decided you want takeout for dinner, where do you order from and what are you getting? Well, um, I just did this yesterday, as a matter of fact, Jet's Pizza. Sausage, mushroom, black olives. Oh, pizza oh, sounds so pizza. good right now. They have pizza the best pizza. Yeah. And my husband doesn't eat pizza from carryout because he's got some dietary issues. And so if I want pizza, I either have to get it with a friend or I have to just call Jets and say, bring me a very small pizza. And they okay. do. So. Yeah. so is it like a, I've never heard of, is it like a small local pizza shop? Well, I think that they're, they might be in the Midwest. I'm not sure. That's where I am. Um, I know there's a couple, three of them around town and I had never had them until we moved to this house two years ago and we'd never lived in a neighborhood before which is another long story we won't go into but um we now we live in a neighborhood and we have a like a swimming pool and a clubhouse and things in our neighborhood oh, yeah. and jets came during the during the pandemic they would come and bring pizzas and you could go walk down there and get one for you know 
put your mask on and get a pizza for five bucks. And they were the best pizzas I ever had. And I think they'll probably come back this summer because the the, the food trucks were such a huge hit with the neighborhood. But that's how oh, yeah. I found out about Jets. Before that, I never knew about them. I was always like Pizza wow. Hut or Domino's or something like that. But these I are so good. I feel like so the good. Midwest has some some hidden gym pizza places because I'm, oh, I'm from Missouri and we have a place called Mazio's and it is oh. so good. <laughs> and I live good. in Texas now and we don't have them at all. And I'm just like, golly, <laughs> <laughs> that's like the best pizza. Yeah, know, we when, know pizza in the Midwest. Yeah, when when I lived closer to Chicago, it was it was all during the pandemic, and so it we never got a chance to to make it to Chicago to get you know traditional oh. deep dish pizza. It's disappointing, but I'll fly oh. out there some sometime soon and, and get some pizza again. Where are you, Aaron? Uh, I'm uh, on the West Coast. I'm in Oregon. Ah, uh, so quite a ways good. away. Yeah. What would your elevator pitch be for the types of books you enjoy writing? It would probably be, do you love sweet small town romance with a touch of sensuality and a town full of quirky characters? I got that for you. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> we love to hear romance origin stories. So can you share with us how you became a romance reader? Well, when I was very, very young, like four or five, my sisters were both in school and they taught me how to read. And so I was reading like fourth and fifth and sixth grade books when I was, before I even started kindergarten. So they made me into a reader and they would go to the library or they'd go to their school library when they were in junior high and high school and get the teen romances. You guys are both mm -hmm. way too young to know who Rosamond Dujardin and Betty Cavana and Mary Stoltz are, but they were writers back then. And um, since I had read all the stuff in the kids section, <laughs> I would read my sister's books. And that's when I fell in love with Happily Ever Afters. So I was maybe, I don't know, 10 or 12. And I've just been crazy for romance ever since. The book doesn't have a happily ever after. I'm really disappointed. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like there was just this time where there were actual like romances written for teens and even preteens. And oh, yes, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of romance in the young adult now, but it's just not. It doesn't feel the same as when you find those old like paperback, straight up romance novels yeah. that were old, for that age group. The old malt shop romances is what they were. And it was just, you know, boy meets girl and all the fun stuff going on in high school. And I was always older than my years because my sisters were, you know, older than me. And so I loved, I just loved reading those romances. They were so much fun. So much, in fact, that there's a company called Image Cascade that is reprinting those old books from my childhood. Oh my gosh. And Are you my serious? husband, who is the best person on the planet, bought me the whole set of Rosamond Dujardin's oh. teen novels. And so I have them over here on my desk or on my uh, bookcase. And, you know, I pull one out every so often because every so often you need a little bit of malt shop romance. It, it does seem some, like something that's not too popular with YA these days is, is just a contemporary story. I guess you've got some John Greens in there, but a lot of things, are, it's a lot of uh, fantasy sci-fi. A lot of fantasy, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not that HEA for a teenager isn't fantasy. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on your website, you write that you wrote your first romance at the age of 10. Uh, <laughs> just my own question here, is that story still under the bed or did parts of it that... end up in, in some of your published writings? Well, um, that story sadly ended up getting lost. Um, oh, no. When my mother moved to California, all of my notebooks and things that I had when I was a kid, I, was, I didn't go rescue them before she moved. And so they're gone. But um, I remember 
clearly that it was about my sister, my older sister, Pam, who was in high school and she had a driver's license and she was like the most sophisticated person I knew. <laughs> and my mother had just taken us to see Herman's Hermits at the state fair. And I was just a crazy Herman's Hermits fan. And I thought that one of the guys, his name was Carl, I think, in the in the band. I thought he was such a hottie. And so I thought my sister and he would make a great couple. And so I wrote this wonderful <laughs> romance about them. Oh. And uh, my sister Pam, I think, got a big kick out of it. But um, it is it, the story, sadly, is gone. <laughs> but, she was a romance heroine. <laughs> yes, she yeah, was. That's great. You know, small town yeah. meets rock star. Yeah, it was a, I, I love it. Fabulous story. Fabulous Okay, story. I want to see more state fairs and romance. <laughs> I think we should, don't you? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's like, uh, depending on where you live, I guess. I don't know how big of a deal it is everywhere else, but like it was a big, my town, oh. my hometown hosted the state fair. It was a big deal. And I mean, if you had like a crush or something, you were just like hoping everybody would be at the fair and you'd run into them. Like it just was <laughs> sure. made for romance novels. Yeah. I feel like. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. My hometown is, I live in Indianapolis, so that's where the state fair is. And it is a huge event. It's like two weeks at the end of August. It's just, yeah. you know, everybody's at the state fair. Yeah. So from what we could see online, you released rule number one in 2012. Is that right? I did. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. What did the world of romance publishing look like at the time that you were entering it? You know, it was, um, it, I think I want to say it was more closed. Okay. Um, honestly, the big five, then there were five of them back then. I don't think there are anymore. I think it's more like the big four, but um, they really weren't interested in anything outside of the boxes that they had created in category romance. And so if okay. you came along with something that was different or outside those parameters, they it was really hard to get them to talk to you. And a lot of, a lot of publishers wouldn't talk to anyone who didn't come through an agent. Okay. And so um, it was, it was hard. I started trying to sell my first novel once more from the top in 2009. And I was really fortunate that I got a, I got um, an agent right away, but bless her heart. She, she tried and tried to sell that book. Um, And we had so many editors from Harlequin and Kensington and all those places tell her that they loved the writing and that I had a fabulous voice, but my characters were too old. And so this was before season romance was even a thing. And nobody and 2012? wanted 2012, like, well, 2012. 29. Yeah. yeah. Oh my 2009, God. 2010, that in there. And they, mm-hmm. they kept saying to her, make, tell her to make them younger, make them younger. And they really hated, believe it or not, the fact that their child, this, the secret baby, because this is a secret baby romance, was 15. Um, she raised I, this I, child. I actually love that. I prefer that, actually. I love well, when the kid is older. Yeah. The, the kid is 15, and he's a piano prodigy, and his father is a world-famous conductor. And she never told him she was pregnant. And so this is their story of coming back together again. And it was such a fun story to write because it happened up in Michigan, which I love Michigan, and Interlochen Music Camp was involved and, you know, the symphony and all the things that I love just all came together in this in this story. And um, nobody would buy it because my characters were too old. Wow. And I wasn't going to change it. And I didn't really mean to be a, you know, to be stubborn or anything, but the story wouldn't have been right if the characters had been younger, especially a child. So mm-hmm. that's... So at that time, can you, I mean, at that time where it did feel a little, it felt more closed, 
and mm-hmm. you have this story and they're just asking you to change this one thing. I think that's so inspiring. So I just want to hear you talk a little bit more about that. But like, did it take a, a little bit of thinking or was it an, a, an immediate, no, I'm not changing this? I I talked and talked and talked to my agent and she was right on board with me about not changing it. As a matter of fact, she said to me, write me something else. Write me something with younger characters mm-hmm. and let's do that. And we did that. I did that and it sold. And that wow. was rule number one. And okay. so, you know, it, and, you know, I like that story, but it's, it's clear that it, it, my heart was not as much in it as Once More From The Top. That, wow. that was the book of uh-huh. my heart. And I just didn't, I just couldn't change it. If you ever, if you ever happen to read it, you'll see why, because so much of this book is about this young man, their son who is who is this brilliant young pianist and he and his father have to connect even though they have never known each you know they didn't know each other and the father is just devastated because he missed so much of this kid's life and this kid is going to go on and be somebody really amazing and the father didn't get to be a part of that and so there was just too much in there to change it does that make sense yeah oh yeah Uh, the story really wouldn't make sense i think if the characters were younger (laughs) yeah you know it really seemed like it would it would sideline the child to make them uh, younger and you know in yeah. that in that story it absolutely would it absolutely would another question well, i wanted to ask for yeah. aaron moves on is can you walk how did you find an agent back then i mean i don't know how we find agents now but i mean back then, <laughs> I how did you find one <laughs> well let me let me preface this with i don't have an agent now and okay. i've never had okay. one since i had that, my agent that one. um I, this is so bizarre. A friend of mine who was an author here in Indiana passed away and she had encouraged me and encouraged me, encouraged me to send this book to her agent. And I didn't do it before Susan passed away. And so um, I finally, after she died, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to write this woman and tell her that Sue had asked me to send her this book. And so that's what I did. And I didn't think I'd hear from her, but she wrote me back in, I don't know, it it was email in, in a day and a half, maybe. And she said, if Sue's told you to send me the book, then send me the book. And so I did. And about a, less than a week later, she contacted me and said, this, Sue's was right. <laughs> this is a wow. fabulous story. So I really lucked out. I did not have to ship that story anywhere, yeah. but to Maureen. And um, she was with Little Brown in New York, which is a pretty big agency. And um, she was just, she was so wonderful. And she tried so hard. God bless her. She tried so hard. And um, e-pubbing was just coming in yeah. in 2009. And so the whole digital thing, she was close to retiring and the whole digital thing was something new to learn for both of us. And um, so finally, after about, I think maybe 15 or maybe even more editors that she sent it to who said the same thing, every single one of them, I swear they were in contact with each other. Um, <laughs> and then I wrote the other book for her and that one sold and then she retired and so we had to go our separate ways. But um and then after that I, I went indie for, for, for the women of Willow Bay books and so I didn't need an agent. So. Yeah. So when did you decide that you were going to pursue uh, professional writing and can you share with us your journey to becoming published? I decided when I was ten, uh, that I was gonna be a published author. And um, my mom, God bless her, she was really supportive of me about that. And, you know, she used to, she gave me a notebook 
that said, you know, keep, keep a journal because when you're a famous author, people are going to want to know about you and this will help, which I thought was awfully, you know, supportive and kind. And um, she didn't, I guess, I guess she didn't, everybody has imaginary playmates and she didn't make me get rid of mine. She said, write about them. Mm-hmm. So I did. And I do. So um, that was this, but the actual publication part didn't happen until 2009, which was quite a distance away from when I was 10. Um, so, and that whole story was about taking the book to, sending the book to Maureen and, mm-hmm. and having her, you know, help me with that. And um, during that process, I joined Romance Writers of America and I met Lonnie Diane Rich, who is just the most amazing person. And she helped me, Indie published the, the Women of Ola Bay book. Wow. And, um, wow. So one of, one of the cool things about these books is as seasoned romance has become more and more and more a thing, mm-hmm. um, people are reading them. And, you know, they were published in, I think, 2013, 2015, and 2017, <clears throat> excuse me, were when all those books came out. And um, the one that came out in 20, I think it was 13, 2015 or 2013, Sex and the Widow Miles, the second book in the series, just was named, like two days ago, was named on BuzzFeed as uh, as a seasoned romance that you don't want to miss. So I was like, wow. Wow. Yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. What did that experience of indie publishing teach you as a writer? <laughs> that I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. It was we, hard. It was so hard. There was just so much to do. And, and I just thank God for Lonnie and and my friends in Indiana Romance Writers who helped me um, do the technology things. My my friend, uh, Melanie Zarito, who's a really terrific author, um, she and I, she helped me work on all that and get it, get the stuff up and, you know, open all the accounts and everything. And so it was a lot of technology and I'm not going to, I'm not going to be whiny about being too old for it because I'm not, because I work online all the time. I'm a copy editor and I, mm-hmm. I work online all the time, but it was just a lot to do. Yeah. And it's hard to get your name in front of people when there isn't someone behind you saying, Hey, look at her. Yeah. And that's the really wonderful part about being with Thule now is that I have a wonderful publisher who's behind me saying, hey, look at her. So that's nice. And when did the first one in that series come out? Uh, I think 2018 was the first Flaherty Brothers. Might have been. Yeah, I I think. It's either 2018 or 2019. I'm sorry. I can't remember which year. Um, So so you did have social media, but I mean, that's still kind of like early days of like Instagram and stuff. So, I mean, really the marketing is on you. So like, what did you do? To get it out there. Well, I I started a Facebook page and I started a blog, which I still do every Sunday. I love your blog. Oh, thank (laughs) you. (laughs) My my guru is my son. And he just, that the new design that's up there, he just did that. And I love it. I really love it. Um, I I got on Twitter. I got on Instagram. (laughs) I play with my phone. It's Um, an entire job of itself. It truly is. It truly is. And, but I found a lot of places, especially on Facebook, where seasoned romance is talked about. And so that, that helped a lot to, to be able to go to those places and say, hey, look at me, which I do a terrible job of, hey, look at me. But I'm, you know, you have to. And, yeah, you know, you have to. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's like you do the, you do the writing part. And the book is ready. And that's only the beginning of the work, I think, as an Indian. <laughs> it author. is. Uh-huh. 
It is. It is. And even even if you have a publisher, you know, they can't do all the work. Mm-hmm. Thule has, I don't know, several hundred authors that they work with and they can't do all the work. And they they are wonderful and so supportive and helpful. But I still have to market. You know, it's yeah. still on me to do that. So I do what I can. <laughs> Well, let's talk the Valentine Wager, which is just so good of a book. It's the romance between Riker and Kit, and it's your most recent release with Tooley yes. Publishing as part of their American Heartline. Tell our listeners what the book is about. Oh, um, the Valentine Wager is the fifth book that happens in River's Edge, the little town that I invented in the Flaherty Brothers, the Four Irish Brothers Winery series that precedes this series, which is called the Lang Brothers. This is three first responders that live in River's Edge, they're brothers. Riker is a policeman and Kit has just come over from Ireland to help her brothers, the her cousins, sorry, the Flaherty's in their winery. She came because she got her heart broken in Ireland and so she's running away. And Riker's kind of, um, kind of has a, a reputation around town as being a player and he's a flirt and he doesn't really make any kinds of commitments to anybody. And um he's he's kind of got a lot of layers and they get unwrapped like an onion in this book um Mm -hmm. but he's he um they meet and they're immediately attracted to each other which is the great part about romance don't you think and um and then um but she decides she's not going to deal with another player she's been through that in ireland and so even though she's really interested in him she says to him i I don't want to be anything but friends, and I and I don't think you can do that. And that little statement to her, for, from her to him, becomes a wager that the whole town gets involved in. I I loved right. that. Yeah, that moment with that conversation, and then all of a sudden, just everyone around them, yeah. it's it's <laughs> their conversation it? too. Yeah. And it's funny how they find out. They're like, "You're putting money on this." Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, yeah. It was a fun. It was such a fun book to write. I would say of every of all the books I've written, this one was the most fun because mm-hmm. I could. They weren't. You know, they couldn't. They couldn't be like regular in love people, and so uh-huh. they had that. You know, that's all around the edges. They're skirting all around the edges of it, and and um, they were just they were just a fun couple to write. Yeah, yeah. Now, can I ask you about? Uh, so, Kit is from Ireland, and. Mm-hmm she has the the accent and you you have the the written accent in in this book and i thought it was it was perfectly done because i feel like sometimes it can be overwritten um in in a book and how do you how do you find that that balance in on page writing the accent that you know that is hard because um i i love to do voices i love to do accents my kid and i do them all the time and so it it would have been really easy to to overdo it. But I feel like the editor in me kept saying, no, 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 don't do that. Oh, <laughs> keep, it, yeah. keep it to a minimum because they know mm-hmm. she's from Ireland and, and you could, and to use it when it's really most effective, like, like when she yes. went into, when they went into the bar and found out that they'd been putting money on her, that scene, <laughs> you know, she's, she's right from, from County Wexford at that point, And she, she was too angry. And I had to, I, that was a way to show the anger, I guess, is what I yeah. want to say, is that mm-hmm. that accent came out so heavy. The so, Egypt? Egypt? Egypt. <laughs> so um, that was just, you know, I, I think you just have to be really cautious with it and you kind of sprinkle it in so that it's effective without being overwhelming. Yeah. Well, one of our favorite parts of the book was the meet cute. 
between Riker and Kit, which <laughs> is absolutely hilarious. And it's right when the book begins. How did this scene between these two come to you? Wasn't that a fun scene? I just had so much fun yeah. with that. Um, well, in 2009, this seems to be like a seminal year for me, doesn't it? I keep saying 2009. But in 2009, my son, daughter-in-law, and I went to France and Ireland. We In Ireland, we rented a car and we, drove, we had to drive on the wrong side of the road to learn how to drive on the wrong side of the road. And it was very, very, I don't know what the word is, very weird. It was a weird feeling to drive on the wrong side of the mm-hmm. road. And I thought... You know, I had Kit coming over from Ireland and I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun if she was driving down this curvy road toward town, but she was on the wrong side of the road and she got stopped. And so it just seemed like such a good way for them to meet. And, you know, she's totally oblivious. She doesn't know she's driving on the wrong side of the road until she realizes she is. And then she she kind of wants to flirt him out of it. And so anyway, it was, it was a fun thing to do. I really enjoyed it. I just, I have to give you praise. That is, I am a meet cute person and, and that is hands down one of the best meet cutes I have ever read. Because you're like, why is she riding on the wrong, driving on the wrong side of the road? And he stops her, thinking she's been drinking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's got the wine in the car, and she does have the open bottle, yeah. open container. And he's like, "Ma'am, you're on the wrong side of the road." And she's like, "No, I'm not." And that's when you piece it together, like, "Oh, she's not from here." To her, she's on the yeah. right side of the road. It's yeah. it's yeah. perfect. Thank you. It was, you know, it's funny. I had because he's a cop. I, I I had no idea what would happen if that happened to somebody. You know what would the cop say? What would he do? So my mm-hmm. daughter-in-law's father is a is a retired policeman, and the book is dedicated to him because I must have called him I don't know ten times and said, "Hey, would he? Would she? Would this?" And, uh-huh. and he would give me these long, wonderful explanations about what would happen, and because um, I didn't know if she would be in trouble for the bottle. I knew there was yeah. an open container law in our uh-huh. state, but I didn't know, you know, how hard over they were about it. And he was like, well, if you really wanted to meet her. He... <laughs> said, okay, okay. So he was such a peach to help me out like he did. I really appreciated it. I think that's but, what makes it even more funny. It's like Kit is really innocent in all of these oh, situations. It's just <laughs> the clash of cultures in those moments. Yeah. So the bet between these two, uh, it's to not flirt with each other, essentially, for three weeks. And it just mm-hmm. added such a fun extra element to the story. Um, it was, they actually, it, it felt like they created an obstacle yeah. between themselves when there's clearly feelings there. So can you talk about how this idea presented, you know, itself to you as well? Because I, when you're reading it, you're like, oh, this is an obstacle in the romance. And they put it there themselves. It was brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, I needed a conflict, obviously. Um, <clears throat> something that would keep them apart, but keep them connected at the same time. And um, conflict, I really have a hard time writing conflict because I'm kind of a person who's not, I, I don't like conflict of any kind. Oh, yeah. You so are preaching to the to, choir yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> so when I have to come up with conflict, I'm like, yikes. But I thought that, you know, Riker is 33 years old. It's time for him to grow up and fall in love. And mm-hmm. this was like the perfect opportunity f- for him to, to do that and for her to stop being so scared. But the bet was her way of keeping him at arm's length. Mm-hmm. And um, the fact that he was so respectful of it was important to me because I, I needed for the readers to see his arc, to see him go from being this person who, you know, just loves women 
to being the man who loves Kit. And so that bet set that up for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's it. They just had to have something to overcome. And as mm-hmm. it happened, it was themselves that they had to overcome. Yeah. I really enjoyed that it seemed like Riker had more more to do, more work to do on himself in, in this book than, than Kit did. He, he had things he really had to reflect on and just look inward and, and make a change when, when Kit, Kit was, you know, just needing to open up some more. So that, that was not something you see too often, like a more, more focus on the, the male main character than, than the female main character. Well, Riker's, Riker and his brothers, um, you, you got a little taste of it when Riker talks to his mom about his dad and, you know, mm-hmm. he, their dad abandoned them and, and um, my dad abandoned me. And so it, it's, there's a lot of my own feelings and uh-huh. what I think my siblings feelings were as well in all three of these books. And, and the whole thing with their father plays out through the three books. So this okay. was sort of introducing the readers to that situation. Mm-hmm. Um because okay. all three of the brothers have, you know, they bring baggage from that experience. That experience, yeah. So yeah. anyway, that was well, Riker's baggage. <laughs> okay. Well, the Valentine's Wager is the Lang Brothers book one. So is is there anything more you can share with us about the second book? Um, well, it's um, it's Max's story, the youngest brother, who's the doctor. He's a doctor in the ER. Mm-hmm. And um, he's the doctor that was helped them when the, the, the little, little boys, the boys. Were, sick or uh, hurt and um he is just the sweetest natured innocent little guy he's he's not he's he's really truly a beta hero he's he's quiet he's gentle he's kind he's 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 innocent that sounds like such a strange word to use but there's i really can't think of a better one he's just very innocent Mm -hmm. and he's been in school for years of course and doing his residency and so he doesn't have a lot of experience with women um and so when this woman comes, this woman doctor comes to town, she's working um, They're there. She's teaching the new heart department in the hospital. They're te- she's teaching them how to use this equipment. And mm-hmm. so she works for, she's, she's not doing doctoring. Her story is she had a tragic experience. And so she quit being a doctor and started being a teacher. And uh-huh. um, she just, she's having a hard time with one of the administrators coming on to her all the time and he walks into the cafeteria and she goes up and grabs him and says kiss me (laughs) and she's trying to convince the hospital administrator that the two of them are a couple even though she's never seen him she doesn't know what his situation is she knows he doesn't have a ring on his left hand but she doesn't know if he's gay or straight or what but she took a shot and it worked out so anyway this is their shot (laughs) sounds like another amazing meet cute yeah (laughs) it's it it's it was a fun meet cute and um the the story is really fun because it has a lot more to do with the town um (laughs) because of um i'll tell you guys but (laughs) a a a natural disaster happens in the town that affects the whole town Mm -hmm. and of course affects the doctors and the people in the hospital So um, she ends up staying longer than she planned to. That was okay, too. So anyway, that's that well, one. Shout out well, to medical I'm, workers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sold already. I know. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know. it's available for pre-order, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so let's get into some round out questions. Sure. Early bird or night owl, what time of day do you prefer to write? I am an early bird. I get up before the sun does and I write for about two hours till my husband gets up and then we have breakfast and then I come back and usually either write some more or work. I'm, I'm still a copy editor. I mean, that's my day job. I'm a copy editor. And so I 
I do freelance work for um, a lot of different publishers, Avon Books and Kensington oh. and um, so St. Martin's Press. And I worked on the Bridgerton books. Isn't that exciting? That's my little that claim. Is, oh, wow. So cool. 15 seconds of fame. <laughs> Uh, so, so can you talk about cop okay because i have been seeing these ads on pinterest for building your own copy editing business a lot lately and i'm like what exactly is a copy editor so can you tell us what you do um a copy editor is the person who comes in after the story has been developed by the development editor so it's you write the story you send it to the development editor and the development editor goes through and talks about whether or not the story works and helps you figure out I'm in I'm in development right now with the first book in my new series okay mm-hmm. um, actually I'm in revisions she already developed it and then after I send it back to her and she says perfect it's a wonderful story then she sends it on to the copy editor and the copy editor finds grammar mistakes um, spelling mistakes timeline mistakes okay um, anachronisms like um, like if a hero flies to see the heroine and it's 1802, you're like, well, how did he do that? Okay. <laughs> did he fly on an eagle? Yeah, so there was I... no flying in 1802, guys. <laughs> and also little anachronisms, like how what people say. You can. It doesn't hurt in a historical novel mm-hmm. to have anachronism. Um, everyday language in them. But if a hero is going to say something or a heroine is going to say something, it better be something that wasn't, if it's 1802 and that phrase didn't come into being until 1974. Wow. I mean, no 1802 hero is going to call somebody groovy. And so, you know, (laughs) those are anachronisms and those are something that I have to watch for. Um, I have... I, I watch timelines if, you know, if it's Thursday and then all of a sudden it's the same day, but now it's Wednesday. Or if the hero's eyes are blue in the first chapter and hazel in the third chapter. Mm-hmm. Or if they're going from Florida to Indianapolis and they go through Nebraska, you're like, you've made a terrible <laughs> mistake. So, you know, it's that kind of thing. And so I, I Google is my very best friend. I, I check weather. I check moon phases, I check routes. And um, if sentences are really awkward, or if somebody uses the same word too many times, that's called echoing. And, you know, if you have, if you have 497 thens in a 290 page manuscript, we probably should try to figure out a better way to say something. So making suggestions for that, I, I don't rewrite, I, but I do make suggestions. That was my job. So cool. It is a it is a wonderful job. I've been doing it since 1996, and I started with the For Dummies books. Do you know what those are? Yeah, those, oh, those yeah. big you know, yellow yeah. chunky. Big yellow. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, my very first book was Law for Dummies, and um, it was just such a fun book to read. Those books are not written by writers; they're written by experts in the field. Okay. And so co- they needed copy editors badly. Um, So I started with those in college textbooks. And then about, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I did my first, um, I did my first fiction book, and I just fell in love with them. So because I had enough experience, I could go out to people like Avon and St. Martin's Press and Kensington and Entangled and, and um, offer my services as the, as a copy editor for fiction. And now I'm pretty much primarily fiction. So, so you have, have you, go ahead, Brie. I was going to say, you're one cool lady, man. Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> Aren't you kind? Thank you. 
So have you ever gotten to like sparring with with your copy editor about oh <laughs> no, I I I disagree there. Well, um, I don't ever get to talk to my copy editor. Um, sh- copy editors pretty much, unless you're working with an, with an indie author, mm-hmm. everything goes through the project editor. There's always a project editor for every book. And so it, it, if I have a question for, if I'm, if I'm the editor and I have a question for the author, I put it in the manuscript as a comment and then they deal with it. If they have a question for me, they ask their PE and their PE asks me. So I don't really get to spar with them particularly. Um, my copy editor at Thule is just a peach. I don't know her name. I know her initials. <laughs> wow. But she's, you know, she she has copy edited every book I've done, which is something that okay. Thule's real good about giving the same series and the same author uh-huh. to the same copy editor. So they learn your voice. And really, that is the most important thing, I think, about mm-hmm. being an editor, whether you're a development editor or a copy editor, is to make sure that you don't lose your author's voice in fixing the manuscript, you know. That's what I wanted to ask. So does having that experience of being a copy editor, does it ever feel like it, when you're writing your own stories, does that ever feel like it hinders you some? Like, you do you, are you able to turn the copy editor voice off and say, I'm writing my own story here? Does that make sense? It does. That's a, that's a terrific question. And um, to be honest with you, it's very hard to turn the copy editor off. It slows okay. me down because okay. it, it, every morning when I start to work uh, on my own books, I go back and reread at least eight or 10 pages of what I'd written the day before. And I edit while I'm there. And so a couple of times I've gone through and written a whole book and didn't, and didn't edit. And it was really hard for me because yeah. that's my instinct is to edit. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm, and I'm pretty hard on myself. So it's when I get done with a book before I send it to my development editor, I go through, I check for echoes. I run it through every possible check I do on other people's manuscripts just so that, and I, I will say that she's always gracious about my, the fact that my manuscripts are clean when they come to her. So I try. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to know there's a word for that. Cause like, as I'm trying to write, I'm like, I say she a lot. You have to figure out a better way to say this. Now I know there's a word yes. for it. Well, <laughs> you know, the thesaurus can be your best friend as long as you don't overuse it. And, um, yeah. you know, so there's lots, and there's a lot of different websites where you can go to find good words. And there's also a wonderful, if you're writing, there's a wonderful place called One Stop for Writers. It's oh, a website okay. and it is fabulous. I use their, I use that website all the time because it talks about, it has like the emotion thesaurus and it'll give you an emotion and then tell you what, you know, how a person would look if they're feeling that or what they would be doing. Like, you know, I'm nervous, I'm wringing my hands. And so, you know, that kind of thing. It's really great. There's so much to help you out there. And that's so wonderful. One stop for writers. One stop for writers. Yep. Right. What is one film you will never stop watching? Oh, I love that question. Um, there's three. Can I give you three? You can. <laughs> of course. Midnight in Paris with Owen Wilson. It's a Woody Allen film um, about a, a writer who goes back in time to the 20s and meets Hemingway and Fitzgerald in Paris. And it's just the most delicious novel. And it all happens in Paris, which is my favorite city in the world. Um Another one called Bottle Shock, which is a little small independent film from, I think it was maybe 2010, about a winery in Napa. Um, and the winer, the winemaker wins a blind taste testing in Paris. His wine wins against all these French wines. And it's just 
the most wonderful story about how American wines became, I don't know, I, I don't want to say legitimate, but how people began to respect yeah. and enjoy yeah. American wines. Uh-huh. It's such a good film. It is just absolutely wonderfully told. And, and again, it's in Paris. <laughs> no, it's, well, yeah. yeah, a little bit of it happens in Paris. Most of okay. it happens in Napa, which is also a favorite place of mine. Um, but the tasting, yes, happens in Paris. Then I love the Susan Sarandon version of Little Women. Susan Sarandon and... and um, is oh, Winona in that one? Yes, Winona Ryder. Okay. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And Gabriel Byrne. And oh, man, that's that to me is just the absolute... Denise Denova did a fabulous job with that film. Besides reading and writing, what was one of your teen girl obsessions? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I was going to say boys, but I thought, not really. Now that I think about it, <laughs> not really. Um, I love the Beatles. I was really obsessed with Paul McCartney. Um, I loved I loved to swim, and I still love to swim. That was one of my oh, favorite things yeah. to do. And although I played the flute in the band from the time I was in fifth grade until I graduated from high school, and I loved being a band geek. I just loved it. I was a terrific band geek. I just had such a good time in that in that community, you know. Yeah. I loved it, and I felt like I was really a part of something. I wasn't a particularly good flute player, but I I loved marching. I loved all of it. It was just the best. And when my kid got old enough to go into marching band, I was so excited because I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't wait to see him be out there and march on the field. And yeah. he hated it. He absolutely oh, no. hated it. Oh. The karma. <laughs> I was just like, oh, dang it. So I didn't make him stay. He plays the guitar like his dad does. They both play the guitar and they're both very good. But uh, he did not like playing the saxophone in marching band. And I, so I had to let him quit, but kind of broke my heart a little bit. Parental like expectations. I just knew like <laughs> I was an athlete. All of my kids are going to love sports. No, no one's really interested <laughs> at all. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that kind of sad in a way? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is one hit? Hill you will wholeheartedly die on a riderly hill or a life hill whatever you want any well a riderly hill i think would be that as an editor and an author trust the writers to and and respect their voice respect an author's voice especially mm-hmm. if you're an editor respect their voice and don't try to make them follow the rules so stringently that you lose their voice you lose it that's not fair yeah. um i don't know a a life one for me might be universal health care. I think it's terrible that mm-hmm. in this country, people might have to give up paying their rent or not go to the hospital when they're sick. I think, yeah. I think we need universal health care. Yeah, Just we, gotta, we have to do better on that, I think, we do. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. All right. It. Lastly, where can everyone follow you online? You know, I'm, I am, uh, being online just feels so weird to me. And with the Valentine wager, I've gotten so much cool cool promo about it and it's been so weird to be all these different places and websites and things but um mm-hmm. i have my own website nanreinhardt.com and you can always find me there on sundays and i do author uh spotlights for other authors on uh wednesdays and thursdays um i'm also at the word wranglers every third tuesday where we talk about writing there's six of us and we talk about writing um mm-hmm. and then instagram is and Twitter. I'm so easy at Nan Reinhardt. Thank you so much for letting us chat with you today. This has been incredible. I loved like getting to hear you talk about the books and all of your experience with writing. It's just incredible. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been great fun to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it. So does book two have a title yet or no? It does. It's called Falling for the Doctor. 
and it okay. comes out June seventh, okay. I think. Okay. And then um, the other one, the next one is um, the Fireman's Christmas Wish. I love that book. I absolutely oh. love that book. Oh. It's Becker's book, The Fireman, oh. and um, it comes out October eighteenth, I believe. So you those are a are busy woman. Well, others. we love Christmas novels here on this oh. podcast. Yes. Just saying, you will have to come back when all three of the books have come out. I would love to do that. That would be so much fun. Thank Especially you. we could talk about what happened with the brothers and their dad and all that kind I of know, stuff. I know, I yeah, know. Aaron, totally put it in your calendar. So All right. Yes, I will. <laughs> well, li- listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We'll have links to all the places where you can follow and keep up with the wonderful Nan Reinhardt, as well as where you can get her books. Go get your copy of The Valentine Wager. We loved it. Aaron, we loved it, right? <laughs> we did. Yes, it, it was so good. Hands down, wonderful meet cute. Go read the book, you guys, and keep your your eyes out for the next book that's coming out in June and then the Christmas novel and listeners we will talk to you in our next episode have a wonderful day everybody thank you for listening